You're listening to the Changing Lives Podcast, where we talk with health professionals, industry experts, and everyday heroes, changing lives on the front lines through emergency healthcare. I'm your host, Ben Cleaver. Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today, we are talking about something absolutely crucial to not only living a healthy life, but having a long long and successful healthcare career. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guest today is Erin Moss. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you for having me, Ben. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. Erin um, uh, is a managing partner and senior physiotherapist at All Sports Physio. Uh, let me just give a brief bio for Erin before we jump in. Uh, in in 2012, Erin attained a Bachelor of Physiotherapy with Honours and a Bachelor of Exercise Science. Her Honours research focused on identifying risk factors for musculoskeletal injuries in athletes. Uh, she now runs a full clinical list at All Sports Physio, treating a variety of conditions ranging from lower back pain and neck pain to acute sporting injuries and work injuries. Erin has run a half marathon, just <laughs> to appreciate uh, the athletes that she she treats, and uh, and then in, in 2019 she was named the Young Partner of the Year for the Healthier Group. Erin, it's absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and I can't wait to get into this sort of stuff because this is this is critically important for those, particularly or anywhere on the uh, where they are in their career, their healthcare career, but particularly at the start to set them off on the right trajectory because prevention is better than cure. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. No, I absolutely agree. I think it's fantastic um, that you guys are offering this service to your students. Like it's great to kind of, um, for us, Stephen, to, to get um, our message out there, um, you know, beforehand to try and set people up for a really good and healthy career. So I really appreciate your time and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Our pleasure. What do you love about what you do? Oh, I've got the best job in the world. Um, I think um, I'm hoping some of the students can identify with this as well. But um, anyone that gets into healthcare does it because um, you know they want to help people. So um, I've got a fortunate um, you know job that I can actually do that every day. So our main goal is to you know help our patients to achieve their goals, and um, whether that be sort of to decrease their pain um, or to get them back into you know whatever it is, whether it be a work or back into their sport. Um, you know I get to do that every day. So you know I love it. I um I sort of see a range of patients as you said. Mm. Um, and so each each half an hour, you know, I've got a different patient um, on my table, so a different conversation and, and you get to know people really um, sort of well through that. And it's um, it's just one of those really rewarding careers. So I'm very lucky. I love it. Mm. Awesome. Well, we know of some of uh, some paramedics and some emergency healthcare workers that have enjoyed uh, your support and treatment mm-hmm. um, ongoing yep. and with injuries and things like that. So um, and what experience have you had with supporting and treating uh, emergency and healthcare workers? Yeah, so um, I guess being in a private practice, um, you know, we do see a whole range of people. Um, and, and you're right, I, I do see a few emergency care workers. Um, so I've got a couple of, on, on my list that I've seen sort of, um, you know, some just occasionally for a specific um, episode of an injury, but some that are sort of more that sort of long term. Um, and I guess, you know, um, my experience with that is basically, you know, seeing those patients and just trying to get them back into whatever it, it is. Um, I have had some QAS um, ambulance people as well. And 
often, um, you know, we, we treat um, people under work cover as well. So if they've got sort of some workplace injuries, yep. okay. um, you know, we try and manage them and sort of work within sort of the QAS system or, or um, you know, private paramedics to um, to get back into whatever it is mm. that they need to be doing. Um, so, you know, on that sense, you know, I've seen them um, clinically. Um, you know, we're located right near um, GCUH. So my practice is at Parkwood. Um, so just right up the road, a stone throw away from um, Gold Coast University Hospital. So mm. um, not only paramedics, we do see quite a number of different healthcare workers as well um, that sort of come to us, which is which is great. Um, on the flip side as well, like I've also worked with paramedics. Um, so um, previously I've done some acute sporting um, injury management. So um, part of our role sometimes is to actually work within um, the sporting community. So I was the um, head physio for um, one of the QAFL teams for a number of years. Um, so occasionally, you know, you get those injuries that needs, needs um, a paramedic assistance. So um, knowing that we can call the paramedics and they'll be there very, very soon is, is excellent. So um, our job, I guess, with that, um, just thinking for some examples, you know, having some, you know, some nasty compound um, fractures and some spiral fractures and things that we kind of, um, you know, immobilise and then just wait for the paramedics to get there and get them off to hospital. So mm. um, on that sense, we've worked with them as well. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Your experience is, is, is really uh, important, I think, for this discussion because we're not only going to talk about, you know, the, the health of the, the healthcare worker, mm-hmm. all right, um, and you, you're obviously experiencing that in your practice at the moment, but you've also done the events, the sort of first response physio. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not only going to talk about how, you know, how to, or the risk factors for injury for healthcare workers. We're going to talk about um, the, the treatments. We're going to talk about how to prevent uh, injury, but we're also going to talk about how we better care for those we're caring for mm-hmm. in an emergency. So, yeah. um, so it's really good angle. So I'm really looking forward to yeah, jumping in. Me too. Awesome. Yep. All right. Erin, can we dive into now, what are the most common injuries that you have seen in healthcare and emergency care workers? Um, yeah, so it's a good question. Um, I definitely say that lower back pain is the most common um, injury that we see. Um, and again, you know, only due to the fact that it's, it's actually the leading cause of um, pain and disability worldwide. Um, most people will oh, really? experience low back pain um, at some stage of their life. So, um, you know, it might not, it might be sort of the overall sort of grumbly sort of low back pain that kind of stays there or they may have an acute episode or an acute flare. Um, so I guess people generally present when they actually have an acute episode yep. of low back pain. Um, so you might have heard people, um, you know, common um, examples are, you know, going to the gym and lifting something heavily and sort of feeling their, their um, back spasm type thing. Um, that's quite often when we see them and um, I have had a couple of emergency care workers that have come in with those types of things, more related to actually moving patients. Um, so they've sort of suffered an acute flare-up um, when they've been manual handling a, a patient um, because, let's face it, patients are heavy, um, especially the really sick ones, if they can't actually help, um, you know, mobilise um, and you have to do all the heavy lifting. So um, that's probably the most common thing that we've seen. Um, and, again, you know, people come in and they quite often will um, settle in about four to six weeks, but we can kind of help to support them during that time and kind of get them back into things a little bit quicker. Um, so to decreasing their pain, improving their function and just trying to get them back to work and, and out of pain as soon as possible. Mm. Is this sort of career, would you say, a high risk career for, for manual handling? Uh, where does it sit in this sort of um, risk yeah. area? 
Yeah, again, it's a good question. I, I guess, um, you know, we do see a range of different people from a range of different um, career paths. Um, you know, probably with the paramedics sort of field, I guess patients don't always conveniently, um, you know, fall to the ground in a nice open space. Um, there quite often is, um, you know, lots of obstacles out, out in the way, you know, if you're having to do CPR or it might be in the patient's own home um, or out in the community. So it's not always a very convenient um, place to for a patient to be located. Yeah. So paramedics definitely do have to work within their environment to try and um, sort of manage the patient and also themselves in that situation. Um, I guess, um, and I was just having a look at um, your setup out here and you've got those sort of the striker, um, the stretchers, um, which are excellent. And a lot of those are sort of semi-automatic or automatic, but mm. there are some that are still manual. So they might be, you know, say that the stretcher's got a um, hundred kilo person on it, that you might having, be having to push and pull that stretcher um, over uneven ground to sort of mm. get them into the ambulance itself. So there is those types of things that, um, again, like any job that's got that little bit of manual handling or heavy lifting, um, I guess it does sort of place you in that sort of higher risk category. Um, you know, the other thing I've had, I have had a patient um, before who he'd actually hurt his shoulder. So he was carrying the ECG machines. Um, and so they have to take them to patients, obviously, that are having cardiovascular events. Um, and, you know, they, they weigh 13 kilos, so that they're quite heavy in their own right. right. Yeah. Right. So the equipment that you guys lug around is quite, is quite heavy. Right. So it's the equipment, it's the patients. I'm assuming that there would be some uh, event, uh, injury events as well as some mm. ongoing issues build up over years of doing, you know, repetitive tasks, sitting, whether it be <laughs> in an ambulance or even in a call centre. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And um, sitting for long periods of time is certainly one of those things that um, it can lead to overuse injuries. Um with COVID, that's probably been a prime example. We've mm. had quite an increase in the prevalence of, of patients presenting um, with poor workstation setups. Um, ambulance officers are exactly the same. If they are working in a call centre, um, they may be sitting for, say, an eight to 10 hour shift, um, you know, sitting for a long period of time. Um, so making sure that their workstation is set up well, um, mm. you know, is imperative to, to decrease the likelihood of, of, of an episode of back pain or neck pain or, um, you know, wrist pain from sort of, you know, acute RSI stuff from, from um, typing or using a mouse. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely that's something else to think about, which we probably um, don't automatically sort of jump straight to. We always no. think of the acute events, but, um, you know, if you're sitting in an ambulance, making sure the car seat's at a good height for you as well. So there's lots of different um, sort of avenues that, um, you know, we can work on to try and decrease the, the likelihood of developing pain. Yeah. All right, awesome. We're going to go a bit further into prevention techniques a bit later, so that's going to be interesting. Um, obviously, we don't want to know just about what injuries we can get. We want to know how to prevent them. Mm -hmm. um, you've mentioned lower back pain as maybe the number one. Um, so what are some of the other injuries um, that you see coming through from healthcare workers or like um, yeah. Similar injuries, you know, similar work workplaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, definitely neck pain um, was one, and that the example that I'm thinking of was actually a call centre worker. Um, I actually think she was um, to do with the fire brigade as well. So they they do similar type things. So, so they're um, manning the phones and with sort of um, multiple computer screens in front of them um, with dispatch. Um, so that's definitely one. I have seen um, an ambulance officer actually who unfortunately did quite a high um, high grade ankle injury, and that was just bad luck. It was sort of walking on uneven ground and, um, you know, like like um, other people can or, or um, normal people can or on the sporting field, if you sort of, um, you know, step into uneven ground and you come over on your ankle, um, you invert it and that puts stress and strain on usually the lateral um, ligament complex. So, um, yeah, that was another one that was just an unfortunate injury from an amb ambulance officer. Mm. 
And that's an interesting point too. In a sort of um, a more um, confined workspace like an office, we can sort of optimise the mm-hmm. her, uh, work, health and safety uh, components of that environment. But um, as an emergency worker, you're going mm-hmm. out to a situation where you're going to have to assess that risk yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you've never seen most of the places you're going to before. Um, so there's that really critical element of being able to assess and continually uh, think about your own health and safety and where the risk is. Yeah, definitely. And I guess too, um, you know, with the mental health component as well, you know, quite often ambulance um, officers are sort of attending, um, you know, sites where, you know, there might be some mental health patients. Um, and, you know, we certainly see that in the hospital system as well. You know, quite often they, you know, they, they may be at risk of assault, um, you know, from mm. their patients as well, you know, yeah. or patients that are drug affected or alcohol affected, um, you know, or not, not in their sort of normal frame of mind. Um, you know, again, it is, is just a bit of a risk and, and you know, people just need to make sure that they've got their body in the best possible position to, um, you know, stay away from that type of injury as well. Yeah. All right. So in your experience, have you seen, whether in the research or, you know, the people you see, what are the, the, the risk factors um, for increasing somebody's potential to, to injury or when the injury, where the injury occurs itself. So, is it is it age? Is it is it genes? Is it the type of build that somebody has, or even is it their their fitness level and and things like that? Where where does the risk lie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I guess um, you know, unfortunately, as we get older, um, you know, we there's often things that um, you know we we sort of start to develop these normal age related changes. Um, I guess you know, for example, with low back pain, if we were to image so do an MRI scan of someone's back from the age age of 30 and did that every decade, you know, up until the age of, say, 90 or 100, um, we would start to see um, changes within those images. Um, Again, like getting grey hair, these are normal age-related changes. And I guess just to go on a bit of a tangent there, you know, um, low back pain is probably one of the biggest things that is unnecessarily scanned. So quite often, um, you know, patients come and they go, oh, you know, I've got a, I've got a disc bulge, I've got a disc herniation, um, and they've sort of haven't had an acute episode, but they've just got some, you know, grumbly low back pain. Um, and again, you know, that's a, a normal age-related change. So mm. we can't pin everything on on the normal things that we would usually see. Um, similarly, like around the shoulder, you know, our, our tendons start to get, get older as well. Um, so, you know, we start to see sort of tendon changes, so tendinopathy, rotator cuff tendinopathy, um, which again is normal and doesn't necessarily sort of correlate with um, with with level of pain or dysfunction. Um, so I guess you know we can't um, we can't blame our age for everything. I guess um, statistically you're, you're more likely to have an injury the older you are, mm. just because you've been around longer. So mm. you know you, you've been working for a longer period of time, or you've just been on this earth for a longer period of time. Um, so so that I guess probably um, you know age yes is a risk factor, but just because you know from a statistics point of view you've just been here longer. Um, you know, I guess too, you know, genetics, you know, there are certainly some injuries that there is a genetic component, um, but we, we actually can't change our genes. And so we can't blame our parents for everything. So we're probably not able to, to really modify those risks. Um, so if we talk about the things that we can, um, that we can modify, definitely physical activity is one of those things. So, um, you know, we know that, um, the, the more active that you are, or, or at least um, sort of being active every day, decreases the likelihood of um, persistent pain. Um, so one of the biggest um, things that we can do is just move our body. Um, mm. As we were talking about before too, you know, if you are, say, for example, in an office or, or sitting at a call centre and you're sitting for 10 hours a day there, you know, don't go home and sit for another five hours in front of the TV, you know, when you get home, you know, that that's um, sort of 15 hours per day of sitting. And, um, you know, we know that sitting's the new smoking. So if 
we can avoid sitting as much as possible and actually just get out and move our body, mm. we know that the likelihood of, um, of something, so in specifically low back pain, um, will definitely decrease. Um, I guess... Um, you know, people quite often think about, um, you know, having a strong core, um, you know, in terms of decreasing the likelihood of injury and, and low back pain. Um, I guess, you know, weightlifters quite often talk about their core and, and how to lift properly and activate your core. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when, when physios talk about core, we're actually not talking about your six-pack muscles um, mm. or the big muscles that run up e- either side of your back. Um, you know, we're more talking about the, the deep muscles to those. So things like your pelvic floor, um, which is sort of the sling of muscles that sits on the bottom of your abdomen, Mm. Um, your transverse abdominis, which are the ones that wrap around um, sort of your trunk, Um, and then your multifidus, which are tiny, tiny little muscles that only span the width of one vertebrae. Um, So all of these muscles, they tend to switch on um, in in a normal population that's asymptomatic. They have a little bit of tone throughout, um, uh, um, which is just normal. if someone's got back pain, for example, though, these muscles tend to switch off and you start to get some fatty infiltrates. So mm. in that population, those that have got um, pain for a period of time, we certainly need to work a little bit harder on getting those muscles activating. Mm. But learning how to lift and actually activating those muscles before you're lifting a big patient will actually help to sort of prevent injury as well. So it's not switching on all your six-pack muscles. It's more just kind of working on those deeper muscles. Um, so a pelvic floor contraction is a really good way to start. So before you go to lift, you kind of sort of pre-activate um, and then you're just going to get your back in sort of a better position to lift. Mm. Um, you know, you always hear people saying, you know, bend your knees, um, you know, that's fantastic. You know, trying to put as least load through your lumbar spine in a flexed position is, is obviously ideal. Um, so if you can sort of take that load through your legs is great. Um, now, I'm not saying don't bend your back because our backs actually are designed to bend. And when we don't bend our back is when, um, you know, when we've got this fear around bending our back. That's quite often when we get, um, you know, sort, sort of some, some further issues yeah. as well. Um, so I guess, you know, trying not to bend your back under load, but, but be- feeling like it's safe to bend your back at other times is great. Um, and if you are going to lift something heavily, just sort of pre-activate and sort of lift, lift your pelvic floor before you go to move something. Mm. Mm. Okay. This, I mean, this is all, yeah, it keeps going back to prevention and, you know, how we can stop these sort of things and, and, and in decrease our risk factor, which is, which is great. So if somebody does have an injury... Mm-hmm. Um, and needs treatment. Uh, what, what what sort of treatment are you looking at, say, for lower back pain mm-hmm. as well as some of these other common injuries that we've seen? What's your angle? Where do you? How do you go about re- yeah. rehabilitating people? Yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, as the students would sort of know, I guess you, you get the most information from your subjective and your history. So, mm. um, you know, your students would be learning, um, you know, to talk to the patient. So ask them exactly what happened, you know, what medications, previous history, previous injuries, all of all of those things. And that kind of helps to build the story. So we do the exact same. So, um, you know, the most important thing that we do is get a really thorough history and subjective because that gives us clues into, um, okay, is it um, an acute injury? injury was there as a mechanism did something happen or is it one of these sort of progressive overload type injuries Mm. Um, and again every patient's different Um, you know that's the great part of our job is that no two stories are the same so every patient that comes in will have a different set of um, beliefs um, whether it be because they've had uh, you know previous injury before or their you know their parents might have had a similar injury Um, so they might already have these preconceived ideas about 
how how their injury is going to affect them or what's going to be actually helpful for them. Mm. Um, so we kind of start there. Um, and then again, it kind of just depends. Every injury is different. Um, if we're talking sort of low back pain specifically, I guess, um, you know, we, we have a look at, you know, how they're moving. Is there any areas that look like they're sort of stiff or guarded? Um, I don't know if you've ever had low back pain yourself. Um, sometimes with the mm-hmm. ac- acute um, things, you know, you might have a pain in sort of one area and then it sort of feels like it spreads or then it might mm-hmm. kind of take up sort of all of your lower back or it might start on one side and then it goes over to the other side. Um, and that can be sort of the body's natural way of sort of protecting itself. So we kind of have a look at that and um, we'll have a look at how the lumbar spine moving if some you know an area of that is um, looking like it's stiff or it's not moving well um, you know we might choose to sort of mobilize or sort of do some manual therapy to try and encourage that normal um, pain-free movement Mm. Um, and again sort of then sort of get going through with the patient on how to sort of then exercise or or encourage normal pain-free movement Um, so you know quite often it's encouraging sort of pain-free bending um, in a way that's going to kind of decrease those big muscles switch them off and then switch those little ones on that I was talking about before for mm. um yeah so again it, it kind of just depends um yeah if, if something stiff and it's not moving you know we quite often sort of mobilize it if it's moving too much um it's more likely then we need to sort of support that area so that's when we kind of go more okay how do we get those stabilizing muscles working yep. a little bit better yep. um so then it's kind of more the exercise sort of base um but you know most often an active approach to your own injury or rehab is best yeah yeah all right and in your experience does, does treatment is it generally ongoing? Are people obviously injury is is a is a quite a focused treatment period? You said before uh, four to six weeks mm-hmm. to rehabilitate, depending obviously on the severity. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, do a lot of people in this kind of line of work do they do they come see a physio? Would they benefit in seeing a physio sort of ongoing? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, you know, with those acute injuries, you're right. So most sort of tissue healing sort of occurs within that four to six weeks. Um, Say if we talk specifically with an ankle sprain. So, you know, we know we get ligament remodeling, um, you know, and that pathology sort of lasts about sort of that four to six week mark. Um, Not saying that, you know, that ankle is going to be sore and swollen for that period of time. We can certainly improve things a lot quicker. Mm. Um, Again, bone bone healing, that's a different kettle of fish again. If it's an acute fracture or something like that, um, you know, you need sort of um, a period of times so usually that's sort of six to eight weeks um, for bone callus formation um, but then it's addressing sort of those other factors so if you're having to be immobilized for a period of time whether it be in a moon boot or in a cast um, you know your muscles atrophy and you have to kind of you know work up sort of those muscles in and around that area again um, with back pain yeah mo- most episodes don't last that long um, if you don't have things like nerve pain as well if you're not getting pain down into your leg you know it's usually about that six week mark from you know feeling mm you know, an acute episode to then feeling, you know, pretty much, you know, back to normal. Um, having said that, though, you know, we can sort of certainly make some changes in that time. And I guess the most important thing is not only sort of dealing with that acute episode, but then, you know, trying to prevent things in the future. Um, so, you know, some pa- patients do, they might come in every, you know, four to six weeks um, if they've got a little bit of a niggle or they might do some supervised exercise. Um, we know that, that people are more compliant if they actually exercise um, with supervision. So it doesn't matter what kind of exercise you do, it, it, as long as you're doing it regularly. Um, so we do have some that, that, that come on a regular basis. Um, 
but yeah, I guess the paramedics that I'm thinking of, um, you know, I've got a bit of a mixed bag, some that will just come, you know, when there's actually an injury occurring. Um, and we try and impart all of our wisdom then as well in try to preventing, trying to get them doing things to prevent further episodes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do have a couple that sort of, you know, come, come in just every now and again. Cool. What I'd love to go is just to hear about your best recommendations to prevent injuries and enjoy a long, healthy yep. healthcare career. Yeah, definitely. I guess um, you know, health, healthcare workers can be a little bit challenging because it's, it's in our DNA to, to put the patient first mm. um, and we're all guilty of it. Great um, point, yes. Yeah, so, so we end up doing our career because we enjoy treating people and we enjoy helping people. So that's kind of why why we choose, um, choose this sort of area of work. Um, paramedics again, are the same. Um, you know, if you've got a really unwell patient, you're going to do whatever it is in your power to, to help that patient. Um, and I guess in terms of preventing injury, um, you know, it, it's the D and the doctor's A, B, C, D um, that I know that all you guys get taught because you guys teach us <laughs> um, that part. So, you know, the D is obviously the danger. Um, and I guess typically you think of, um, you know, is the a fallen power line or is there, you know, a traffic incident? So do you need to sort of um, mitigate that risk by actually, you know, putting out cones or having someone stop traffic or, or whatever it might be? Um, I guess probably not thinking about the danger to yourself and your body position. Um, I, I know that you would have done your CPR every year. CPR is hard. Mm. Um, and, you know, if there is the opportunity for you to sort of move your body into a, a quite a, a better position, definitely do that because you may be there for a period of time. You might be with a patient for sort of 30 minutes in, in one spot. So if you, instead of bending forward to sort of assess that patient and be there, you know, can you kneel? Can you sit? Can you kind of get your body into a better position? Um, so that's definitely sort of one thing is kind of just thinking about your body position. Same with before how we, we did talk about sort of that sort of pre-activation when you're going to sort of move or lift a patient um, and getting them, if they're able, um, to sort of help you as much as they can. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said. So prevention is definitely the, the best um, form of cure. Um Trying to avoid those prolonged positions, that's definitely another key thing for injury prevention. And again, just keeping active. So, um, you know, we know that the, the more active you are, sort of the, the better you're going to go. If you've got sort of a baseline level of fitness, um, you know, that's going to definitely decrease the likelihood um, of you sort of getting an injury as well. Um also with the equipment, so like you guys have those fancy stretches, um, you know, the striker stretches, a lot of them are semi-automatic um, or, or completely automatic. So if you can utilise those, um, you know, use the equipment to the best of your ability um, as opposed to trying to do everything by hand, um, you know, that, that's a good thing about this day and age is that we do have the equipment um, mm. to actually sort of use. Mm. Yeah. So fitness, is there any type of exercise that you've found most benefit from for your patients? Um, again, it kind of just depends on, on the patient's interest. Um, obviously, like from a cardiovascular point of view, there definitely needs to be that cardiovascular portion of fitness. So whether that be, you know, walking, running, swimming, cycling. So you're actually just getting sort of that general baseline of fitness where you sort of get your heart rate elevated and it stays elevated for a period of time. Um, so that's certainly helpful. And with weight management, that's really important. Um, I guess from um, a, a rehab point of view, um, for those that are getting sort of lumbar spine pain or having sort of um, episodes of lumbar spine pain, we, we do sort of focus on, um, you know, those, those sort of deep tummy muscles and so the pelvic floor, those type of muscles to actually try and help to support the back. Um, you know, things like, you know, side bridges and pelvic floor activation um, and to kind of having like an overall sort of back strengthening program can be certainly helpful in those instances. Mm. Are we yeah. talking Pilates here? Are we talking um, weights or? Oh, again, it depends on the patient. So, you know, um, it, 
any exercise is good exercise as long as it's done supervised and and with a really good program set out. Um, so we use a combination of those things. Yeah, I, yeah, like we do have Pilates at most of our clinics as well, um, and that is a great way of exercising. Um, you know, simply because you know quite often you're back supported on the reformer. So um, you know that that is an excellent way way to exercise, especially those people that have had um, pain for a period of time. But again, you know that's not the only answer. Definitely, you know, body weight, um, you know, can be a great um, form of weights. And we, you know, COVID was another great example of trying to just sort of think mm. outside the box and give patients, um, you know, more options when gyms weren't available. Um, again, you know, gyms are great just to add that extra um, load of resistance, but that's not for everyone. So mm. that's where that subjective comes into play. And it's kind of trying to pick the best thing for the patient um, so that they're going to be able to sort of implement it into their lifestyle. Mm. Are there any sort of exercises that you would say, look, this 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 is something that anyone can sort of benefit from. Do at home, uh, strengthening whatever it be the core, or mm-hmm. is there anything that people can kind of, as a result of listening today, to kind of implement into their um, daily, weekly regime. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, I, I always sort of think about the pelvic floor, like I, again, mm. probably, probably my sort of Pilates background as well. Um, that is a really good muscle to start to activate. And again, to think about when you actually are going to do anything heavy, like move something or lift something heavily. Um, so just sort of just that gentle sort of pelvic floor um, activation. Mm-hmm. I guess some males may not have heard of that before, but males mm. also have a pelvic floor. Usually, you, you know, it kind of comes up when people have babies because, yep. you know, that you know there's obviously a baby sitting on their pelvic floor for nine months. Yeah. Um, so quite often that's when you hear um, women actually doing pelvic floor type exercises. But um, again, everyone's got a pelvic floor and pre-activating that quite often does get, you know, your transverse abdominis and your multifidus working as well. Mm. Um, so that's a great one just to actually start just to sort of know your pelvic floor and actually start activating that. Mm. Um, and that's the muscle that basically stops a stream of urine. So okay. if, you, if you're not sure what, what it is, um, that's an easy way just to check that if you can do it. Um, we don't say to do that all the time, but if you're not sure how to act- actually activate, that's a, just a good option option just to kind of get that um, started. Yeah. Um, and then I, I like side bridges, you know, side planks. You don't need any equipment for that. Um, okay. So just sort of going up onto your elbow, legs out straight and trying to hold that. And um, there is some good evidence that um, holding a side bridge for 90 seconds, which feels like an eternity, um, you know, you have a low likelihood of actually sort of developing low back pain or having another episode of back, low back pain. Um, and that's also if the side bridge hold time is sort of within 10 seconds each side. So if there's asymmetry or one side a lot stronger than the other, um, you know, that obviously can increase your likelihood as well. Um, so that's a, just a really nice one and people can start off doing 30-second holds and build themselves up. Um, cool. In terms of, you know, sort of, sort of getting you, your quadriceps or sort of the, the thigh muscles nice and strong, I quite like wall squats. Um, so, you know, instead of doing a squat underneath a bar or a squat rack, um, you actually sort of lean against the wall. You know, maybe you have like a Swiss ball or a, or a foam roller behind you, walking your feet out and then actually squatting. So your back actually stays nice and um, upright. Mm-hmm. However, you've actually got quite a bit of load through your legs. So again, kind of training your legs so that when you do go to squat and lift um, a patient, you kind of have that, that little bit of extra strength through there. Mm-hmm. So there's and some easy ones. These yeah. are things that people can do. At home. Pretty much every day at home yeah. without equipment. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Really yeah. good. Um, so just to summarise, we talked about pelvic floor yep. exercises. We talked about side planks. Yep. Right? Yep, and wall squats. And wall squats. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure like people wanted more instruction, they could probably YouTube it and 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or go see your local physio. <laughs> or go see your local physio. Yeah. Why so not that, do that? That's probably, yeah, again, Get more right. of a, I guess if, if people um, are having issues or they're having even little niggles, I guess the best thing to do is get onto it early. So mm. go and see a healthcare professional and that way they'll give you the best guidance and it might be a physio, it might be an exercise physiologist, but actually just going to see someone and going, okay, this is my concern or I'm about to start this new career, you know, what can I do? Um, and, and again, it'll just be really tailored to be specific to, to them. Um, hmm. Yeah, so get on top of things early. But, yeah, definitely sort of prevention is the best form of cure. Try and keep active. Try and keep a baseline of cardiovascular fitness and also some strength. Um, make sure that you get your body in a good position if you've got the opportunity. Yeah. Avoid prolonged positions and just get up and keep moving. Okay. Okay. Along the lines of prevention now, I'm thinking we've talked about fitness, getting active, um, strengthening those muscles Um and some good exercises, but what about um, sort of lifting techniques? And it's obviously something that people will likely learn throughout their mm -hmm. training and, and, and study in healthcare. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking of was if we could have some tips there, the lifting and things, um, but also the sitting at a desk, the sedentary stuff. We talked mm -hmm. about setting up the right way. Mm -hmm. So, they, but can we get a, a few tips and what that might look like? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I guess um, just to touch on the lifting again. So that would be that pre-activation. So make sure mm. that you bend your legs, keep your back relatively straight under load. Um, so pre-activating. So whether it be your pelvic floor, transverse abdominis, however you sort of think about it, uh, before you go to lift, trying to avoid heavy lifting if you can. So that's using the equipment or getting the patient into a better position if they can actually assist. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the, the lifting side of things. Um, with the workstations, so um, you want, so basically, you know, you want to be sitting comfortably with your feet on the floor. You want a comfortable chair um, and, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money on a comfortable chair. It might be um, as simple as, um, you know, grabbing a rolled up towel and popping that behind your back just to change the okay. position of your back yeah. um, and doing that for 20 minutes or so and then taking it out and just kind oh, of okay. altering what you do. If you don't have the opportunity to actually get up and stand up um, or, you know, walk around the office, go to the printer or whatever it might be, um, actually just standing, you know, you can just stand up on the spot, hands behind your back and just do some repeated sort of extension, so just some, some leaning back, um, or in the chair just doing some pelvic rocks. Um, so sit, sitting on your sitting bones and then kind of sitting, um, I guess, slumped, what you, um, your mother would say is bad posture, mm -hmm. and then sitting right up high on your sitting bones. So all you're doing there, you're actually sort of still moving your back but without actually getting up and having to, to move around if you okay. don't have the opportunity. I'm thinking more if you're stuck in an for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, that's great. <laughs> having, um, having a play there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, excellent. Okay. And would you do these sort of things maybe every half an hour or? Yeah, ideally. Yeah. 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 So again, you know, our backs don't like being in the one position for a long period of time. So every sort of 20 minutes, half an hour, um, you know, most of us will, will have um, the opportunity to, to kind of set an alarm, whether it be on your phone or on your computer, even to set something just to, to remind you to get up. Because sometimes when you're really engrossed in something, you, you might not think about it. Mm. Yeah. Um, standing desks, are they a good thing or a bad thing? Or Yeah, again, you know, prolonged positions. Um, so you're not going to be able to use it all day. So you're not going to be able to stand up and stand all day because then you'll get sore in other areas. Um, the very desks are great. Um, that's not a brand name, but just the ones that the variable height desks, I guess. Um, so the ones that you can actually put down, sit for a period of time and then actually Quite stand up. Yeah. yeah. Most offices, um, you know, will have, you know, a bit of a combination of both. Um, or, you know, if you just, if, if you don't have um, access to one of those, it, it does, doesn't matter. 
better, but as long as you then sort of just make sure that you just physically just get up yourself um, and just stand, have a bit of a walk around. You know, you could stand there and do some star jumps and do some squats at your, at your desk, um, you know, to stand there going up and down on your tippy toes, just doing some calf raises just while you're, um, while you're sort of waiting for an email to send or, or something like that. So right. there's, there's lots of different options. Cool. Yeah. That's really good. And, okay, now for the, the injuries, the RSI, the... Mm-hmm. Uh, texting thumb mm-hmm. or any of those is there any sort of prevention um, techniques that you know of that could um, prevent those sort of injuries as opposed to you know your yeah. lower back and yeah. things like that I guess too just making sure that you do have a good setup so if you are starting to get some symptoms um, you know can you change you know where your mouse is located can you change where your keyboard is um, you know can you bring it closer you know perhaps a different brand or a different type might be more comfortable for you you know might, you might need sort of a gel strip just to kind of rest your, your hands on just to make make it that little bit more comfortable as well um, but again it all comes back to kind of decreasing prolonged positions so if you can um, give your hands a break you know just move them around a little bit give them a bit of a stretch get up have a walk around um, and actually mm. just get out of, get out of the sitting because um, it's not only your lower back but also sort of your neck and shoulders and arms that can get quite sore from being sitting for a period of time mm. Mm. excellent well that's a really mm. rounded approach I think that's really really um, helpful to be able to sort of get because yeah like we said before you don't think about an emergency care, a paramedic, emergency care um, a professional uh, sitting mm. for a lot of time. We see them in action on TV mm-hmm. uh, and we think about those maybe acute injury uh, events and uh, yeah. and the lifting and all that sort of stuff. But it's, yeah. uh, it's a career that's got a quite a... Uh, diverse variety of different mm. positions and, and potential risks. Yeah, definitely. And I guess even sort of some of the event coverage that, that you guys will probably end up doing, um, you know, you you know, fingers crossed that you're not actually too, too busy and you may just be sitting sort of in the ambulance or just sitting sort of at a first aid station um, for a period of time, um, you know, waiting for patients or just observing, just making sure that nothing acute happens. Mm. Um, so in that downtime, you know, again, same thing, you know, can you be up and walking around or can you be doing something as opposed to staying still? Mm. Mm. Excellent. So we've talked a lot about how we can support our own health. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Erin, you've also got experience, obviously, in being a first responder in a, in a physio sense. Mm-hmm. And what I want to go to now is that uh, now how can we as healthcare workers, uh, emergency workers, paramedics, how can we better support what you guys do uh, when we are faced with uh, acute injuries and we're mm-hmm. treating patients um, in that, you know, the, the first response sense, um, how can, what are some of the techniques and things we can, uh, we can improve the, the outcome for yeah. these injuries? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I guess there's kind of, um, you know, two parts to that, I guess, um, you know, in our experience, in my experience, you know, I've also um, been the first, first contact practitioner at a sporting event. So, you know, quite often the physios are there on the sideline for the, the local footy club. Um, and, and quite often, so we sort of get to the patient first and then those ones that, um, you know, might have a significant injury, like a compound fracture or a fracture dislocation, um, we sort of, um, you know, we'll get them into sort of an area of safety, trying to mobilise it the best that we can. And then it's definitely getting the paramedics involved to actually transport the patient. Um, so from that sense, um, you know, uh, we basically just give them the best history that we can. So this is exactly what happened. Um, this is the area that's injured. Um, you know, um, it has happened that we've had some bad concussions. So if they've lost consciousness for how long for, um, kind of just giving the paramedics all that information. So when they sort of get to us, um, I guess, you know, it works really well if we've got a really clear history and then we mm. basically hand over to them and, and we just get out of the way then because, you know, that that's that's where you guys take over and, and that's definitely your area of expertise if that needs to, mm. you know, that patient needs to be transported safely given some pain relief or, or whatever it might be. Um, 
in the clinic, actually. I've only sort of, um, fortunately, I think we've probably had to call a couple of ambulances. I've only fortunately had to call one um, in my time. So I had a patient who um, actually she'd um, already been to hospital, um, but she came to me about a week later after she'd had a slip and a fall in a bathroom. Okay. Um, so she had a um, sort of concussion, a head injury. Um, and I'd known this patient for a period of time, but her um, level of consciousness had decreased and she was getting quite fatigued and tired. Um, she was slurring her speech. So all of these sort of f- um, warning flags mm. that you kind of think, oh my gosh, there's something bad going on. So um, my experience then was the ambulance, again, just up the road from GCUH, they were lights and sirens and they were there within sort of five minutes um, just to take over because we just sort of she thought thought she might have had a had a bleed. Um, this is a week after the actual event, yeah, the injury event. Yeah, and then she came to me because she's like, oh, my neck's still a little, little bit sore, but wow. then just sort of in, on further questioning, I was like, oh, something's just not mm. quite right here. Um, so fortunately, that doesn't happen a lot in a private setting, but, um, you know, it is good um, when, you know, to, just to have the ambulance there and so quickly as well. Um, I guess on the flip side, so that's sort of when we're there and then the ambulance gets there after. Um, on the flip side, um, if the ambulance kind of are the, are the first contact practitioners and then that patient may go to may or may not go to hospital and then we'll see them perhaps in the clinic, it might be a week or two later, um, um, I guess, you know, you guys are fantastic at that thing. It's that sort of early immobilisation. I'm sort of more thinking, you know, the high level sort of um, shoulder injuries or ankle injuries or dislocations or subluxations or ACLs or, you know, all the common sporting ones that we get. Um, you know, it's that sort of early, early intervention, so that early immobilisation, you know, good um, sort of early pain relief, mm-hmm. um, simple analgesia, getting them to the hospital, getting them um, sort of assessed and, and any images that they need, um, you know, immobilising it, giving the patients kind of, the education in and around what they can and can't do early days um, and then quite often they'll come in and see us, you know, whether it be a day or two later um, to kind of then start their rehab sort of after, after they've had sort of the initial management. Mm. Yeah. So in a real general sense, immobilisation is absolutely, you know, the, the number one critical thing in first response and then from there and obviously until hospitalisation, treatment, whatever can be mm-hmm. done. So what are some of the te- – like even as a first responder, some um, people may be going into some employment or, or volunteer work as a first responder. Um, immobilising somebody who's just had an injury, mm-hmm. child, mm-hmm. Um, they don't take directions at the best of times. Uh, <laughs> but in an injury sense, uh, what, what are some of the, the ways in which we can just um, better mobilise somebody who's just suffered a yeah, I guess um, uh, yeah, you, you guys would be sort of better better at that stuff than us. But um, quite often, you know, can you immobilise? Can you splint to another limb, for example? So mm. say it's a lower limb injury, can you splint it to the other leg so that they just don't have the option? Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, if it's a shoulder or an arm, can you sort of um, you know sling it or, or wrap yep. it to their body so they actually just can't can't move their arm at all? Mm. Um, I guess to education, so getting sort of people around them, um, having kind of a cool head so that you're not panicking. Um, it might be quite often it's you know trying to calm. The parents down as well if it is a young child, mm. um, kind of just getting everyone settled, seated, or lying down if the if the patient needs to, um, and then just educating. Okay, this is what it is. This is what's going to happen now. Um, it can quite often be the fear of the unknown. But if it's mm. like, okay, well, um, you know, we think you've done this. We need to keep still until we can get you to the hospital. We need to image it, and then we need to go f- further from there. So, um, mm. yeah, just having a cool head and actually just probably explaining to either parents or the or the patient um, mm. would probably be one of the best things to do. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like less is more, in yeah. a sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. With these sort of injuries, yeah, um, we can often feel like, oh, I've got all this knowledge, and um, you know, uh, to, we, surely there's something can do. But yeah. the best thing you can do is often, yeah, educate, yeah. educate, yeah. calm people down, yeah, 
minimise movement. That's it, yeah. So, and again, you know, it's people management at the end of the day. With those mm. acute things, you've got to just manage people. Um, and I do know that, you know, speaking to some of the team here, um, you know, crowd management, you know, quite often, um, I, you know, I know that some have done, you know, some coverage in at surface and things like that when there's alcohol involved and it might be, you know, the friends or or whatever or there might be a fight or something and, and it might be kind of just trying to dissipate the crowd and actually just get your patients safe but actually just getting everything else around them away. Right. Mm. So is there any further advice that you'd want to give uh, people listening here? So maybe even if they have a niggle or an injury, uh, what do they do? Can they learn what they need to? Can they can they sort of treat themselves at home, Googling or whatever, but, you know, or should they really go and see somebody? Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. Um, so I guess, um, you know, there is a lot of information out there, but um, ideally, um, if someone's got a niggle or they've got an, an acute injury, um, getting in and actually seeing a healthcare professional, so your local physiotherapist, um, would definitely be a first point of call, um, my advice would be. Um, again, that way you can get the correct advice for you, um, specific to your set of circumstances. Um, and, you know, that might be um, some advice in and around things that you, you can and can't do or some rehab advice, some exercise advice, but at least then it's specific to um, their own situation. So if anyone does have any um, injuries or concerns, uh, go and talk to your local physio. Mm. And on that point, I think I only just recently realised uh, what a role of an exercise physiologist mm-hmm. could do to, you know, you kind of heard of the, the PT, the personal trainer, mm-hmm. um, at this level, the exercise level, but I'd never really explored, a, and I have recently seen an, mm-hmm. an exercise physiologist, didn't know they really existed. And I think mm-hmm. that could potentially be a really great combo of a physio and uh, an EP um, to assist with yeah, the right definitely. exercise program as well. Yeah, most of our clinics have um, an EP working with them or some have multiple. Um, so again, you know, we, we work um, sort of alongside each other and I guess it's that sort of overall multidisciplinary team. Um, so, you know, most of us have, will have a podiatrist, an ex-phys, um, you know, your massage therapist, um, you know, we, we might have um, your psychologists that come in as well. So it's kind of that whole team yeah, right. sort of um, environment. Um, definitely the EPs are, are excellent. So they, they go to uni for, you know, four to five years as well, um, basically just learning about about, um, you know, exercise prescription. So not only injury, but also for some of those um, chronic health conditions. And I guess too, um, that's another good point, um, having the paramedic students know that EPs are available and, and patients that, um, and again, correct me if I'm generalising, but I think the most common um, call out to an ambulance would basically be for um, you know, a cardiovascular event. So that these patients quite often are obese, they're overweight, they might have other comorbidities such as you know diabetes, um, some of their lung conditions. So getting in with an EP, you know, they, they're um, experienced in those chronic health conditions. So, so their wealth of knowledge is just phenomenal about those those chronic health conditions. So your cardiovascular diseases, um, your diabetes, and and they can definitely sort of lead people in the right direction because, again, it comes back to that prevention. Can we prevent um, people from having cardiovascular events and, and exercise and, and good management is, is definitely part of that. Um, so, mm. yeah, we're lucky we've got a great EP at our clinic um, and, and most do, so we work really well with, with the EP. Mm. And in terms of training, qualifications, knowledge, um, they're a, a bit of a, a step above your PT that you'd get at a you know a gym or whatever. Certainly, right. yes, yeah. So again, um, you know, there's some great PTs out there. Don't get yeah, me wrong, um, but I guess um, just the level of um, 
um, training for, for a PT compared to an exercise physio- physiologist is a bit different. So some courses for PT might might only be like a 12-week course, whereas, um, you know, an ex-phys is, is a four-year university degree, um, you know, and, and sometimes and then some. So, wow. yeah, so it is just that little bit different. Um, yeah. Yeah. And is an an EP somebody you go to for prevention if you don't have an injury? Yeah, um, but you want to get sort of more prescribed kind of exercise um, program. Is that is yeah. that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and I guess too, um, you know, physios and EPs are first contact practitioners. You don't have to have a referral to go and see a physio right. or, an, or an EP. Yep. Um, you don't necessarily need to go to your GP first. And some some patients do, and and some may get some back from Medicare by doing that pathway, but not necessarily. So you actually can sort of present to your to your physio clinic um, mm. and, and just sort of book in with your EP or your physio and sort of have a chat to them and, and go from there. And quite often, you know, we will work with each other and it might be getting the GP involved as well and kind of having that sort of team approach um, to management of a person. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Amazing information, Erin. It's been really, really good to chat with you. Um, is there, I mean, if you're on the Gold Coast, certainly all sports physio, yep. it sounds like a great place to go, um, you know, just talking to you now, but also getting that whole uh, collaborative approach to your physical health uh, for not only prevention, but also treatment. Um, yep. So can people um, follow you guys on any sort of social media platform? Do you have information out there on the web? Yeah. or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So all of those. So um, allsportsphysio.com.au. Um, so we've basically got um, websites. So we've got um, a whole range of clinics um, located sort of South East Queensland and now beyond. So we're okay, part cool. of um, a bigger group, which is called the Healthier Group. Um, so we're kind of affiliated with some um, optometry, some um, OTs, um, podiatry as well. So we've kind of got this this great big team. Um, so, yeah, we've got so many different locations of our physios um, and, and our, our other allied health. Um, you can certainly go on there, have a look where, where your closest is. Um, you can book online too. We're very tech savvy um, in oh, that nice. way. Um, cool. We do have Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, so, yeah, if, if you want a bit more information, you can certainly kind of investigate through all of those different avenues. Wonderful. Wonderful. Will do. Thanks again, Erin. My it's pleasure. It's been awesome. Now, before you go, I have some quick fire questions. All right. Now, don't get nervous. Nothing uh, too um, heavy. Okay. Yep. All right. But think of... Uh, uh, the first thing that comes to mind okay. uh, and in 10, 20 words or, or less. Yep. Okay. All right. So what's your personal favorite form of exercise? Um, oh, swimming, running and Pilates. They're sort of my three that I do. I can't pick a favorite. I like all of them. Swimming, running. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> your favorite local takeaway? Um, pizza. Pizza. Yep. Is there a local best joint to yeah. go to? Or? Oh, Sandy's Pizza. I live in Pacific Pines. Um, okay. Their pesto chicken and avocado pizza is next level. It's so good. Get on to Sandy's, guys. <laughs> uh, I don't think they deliver nationally, but, um, you know. Uh, what's your pet peeve? Uh, messiness. Yep. I've got borderline OCD. <laughs> um, so, yeah, when there's stuff that's messy, that just does my head in. Yeah, whether it be the clinic or at home. Don't look beyond clinic. the camera frame. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, Strangest day on the job? Um, oh, being, being involved, I guess, in the, the footy grand finals. Um, so I guess not strange, but just that just it's just that different um, type of job. It's not in the clinic. You're actually on the field. field and I was lucky enough to be um, um, associated with the team. We won two premierships um, back to back. So that was really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, most rewarding day on the job? Um, we were talking about this recently, actually, um, and I, we had a patient come in um, and she actually said that it, it looks like everyone that works here loves what they do. 
um, and that you guys just have a really nice team. And so we were sort of talking about that. We had sort of had a team meeting um, that afternoon anyway. And like that was just so, so rewarding just to, for patients to actually see how much we actually enjoy what we do. Um, so we've got a great team where we are and we all love what we do. So we're so lucky. Sounds amazing. That's awesome. Okay. Your most common advice to people in 10 words or less? Keep active and move your body. Keep active and move your body. Yeah, there you go. That's six. That's under. <laughs> Even better. Erin, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, my pleasure. Thanks All for having best. me, Ben. Thanks for listening to another episode of Changing Lives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Did you know we're also on YouTube? Just search for Changing Lives Podcast and you can watch our episodes in full HD video. Yeah. A huge thanks to Australian Paramedical College for supporting this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about the exciting and diverse career opportunities in emergency healthcare in Australia and which one is right for you, head to apcollege.edu.au for more info and to get your free personalised healthcare career development plan. Special thanks also to our audio and visual engineer and editor, Jose Biotto. And as always, it's been a pleasure to bring you this episode. Until next time, don't stop changing lives. Thank you.